0: If it can be perceived as positive, negative, or neutral, where we're influencing the impression of us or what we have to offer, it's a pitch. And often people just think of a pitch as being when you're asking, uh, you know, a venture capitalist for money, or you're pitching for a client. But there are actually many pitches that happen before that, where impressions are formed and either won or lost.
1: Welcome back to the Business Behind Your Business. I'm your host Paul Sweeney, and look, we're having another conversation to help your business grow and thrive. And if you've been a regular listener to the podcast you would have heard me mention the big three and what do I mean by the big three and I'm talking about the big three issues that face business owners and generally that are how do we manage our staff better how do we manage our cash flow and then how do I get more sales how do I get more sales it could be because sales drives the business without sales your business won't survive so Today, I'm quite fortunate to be interviewing Nathan Williams from Customer Return. Nathan has won and coached clients to win and judge pitch competitions. Now, that's something interesting. We'll find out a bit more about what that means. But he also presents regularly for industry groups, associations, and CEOs uh, and their networks on pitching, sales, and referrals. He's the founder and managing director of a sales consulting company called Customer Return. Nathan holds a Master's of Management from the Macquarie Graduate School of Management and has helped over 100 businesses from startups through to Westpac, NAB, and others attract their ideal clients faster. Now, that appeals to me as a business owner, and I know it appeals to all of our listeners who are running businesses. So, Nathan, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Thank you.
1: So Nathan, look, Customer Return, an interesting name for a business. Can you explain how you come up with that name? (laughs)
0: Well, I'm not going to lie, Paul. Uh, My wife actually came up with it uh, when I started the business back in 2010. So uh, believe it or not, I'd engaged a marketing agency to come up with a name and a logo and a tagline, all of which I found myself ending up contributing to. But my wife actually, I must give her credit, uh, came up with the business name when we were brainstorming it one night. The thinking and the reasoning behind the name, just in brief, Paul, is that most businesses that we work with who are predominantly financial professional and consulting services firms a couple in property as well they generally don't just want the initial sale they love to get that repeat business and the referral business as well so it's all about the return you know maximizing the return on the customer you know the ROI over the the lifetime value of the customer to effectively keep them coming back as it were which was the initial tagline so so that's the thinking and the reasoning behind the name
1: yeah, that's fantastic. Because when we talk about increasing profit, we're talking about how do you actually get, well, one, more customers to start with, but how do you increase the frequency that your customers come back to? And that's a key way of driving the increase in profit for a business. So very keen to hear more of what you've got to say on this. We mentioned the pitch competitions and pitch. Let's just say, what is a pitch? We've heard of elevated pitches, but what do we mean when we talk about a sales pitch?
0: Yeah, thank you. And I'll go back just half a step, really quickly, just to give the broader context, really briefly, on customer return, and then we can dive into the pitch if that's okay. But maybe I should have said an answer to your first question. So, long story short, customer return does three things. And I should point out another part of the reason behind the name is initially we started out helping businesses with client feedback and generating repeat and referral business. And then, long story short, we found by doing that that there was often a gap between the propensity or the likelihood of people to refer and the action of them actually referring. So 90% of people said they'd refer, but only 10% actually did. And a lot of the reason for that, Paul, is they weren't really clear on how to best refer the business. And that tied back to the pitch or the lack of uh, a clear, compelling pitch or message that the business had. So we evolved from just helping businesses get clients coming back and getting repeated referral business to helping them with their messaging and their pitch. So we help businesses with their pitch, with their sales process and also with referrals. So I hope that's useful context. And part of the way that evolved is not just that realisation that the messaging wasn't always clear, but back in 2013, I actually went uh, in a pitch competition where I had to pitch to 300 people and four judges and there was 55 people in the comp, and we had to address these key criteria in five minutes, pitching with no props, nothing to support us. So by my public speaking circumstances, that was quite a nerve-wracking pull. Uh, But I managed to win that competition and really enjoyed it and loved doing it. And from there, pivoted the business, if you will, to focusing more on pitching and on helping businesses articulate their value proposition. So that was competing in a pitch competition, but it's a lot more fun to judge them when you don't have to present. (laughs) I've been doing a bit of that recently along with helping people prepare for those pitch competitions. So that's a long way to answer your question of a pitch competition is normally where you've got a bunch of people pitching to a couple of judges and they're being assessed against key criteria over a time frame, like, for example, five minutes like we were back in 2013. And so, for example, you might be assessed against, number one, are you clear? So does the audience understand what you do? Number two, are you credible? And that might be educational background, it might be time in the business, it might be uh, quality of clients, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, number three, does the audience understand the problems that you solve, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And there's normally five or six key criteria that you're required to address in that limited time frame. And so it's quite challenging to be very concise with your language, get it to a time frame, and you're really looking for value per word. You know, stripping out anything that doesn't contribute to the audience's understanding of the message.
1: Mm. Look, I can see very clearly there's a direct lead into sales, I guess, sales training for any business or how you actually discuss uh, with a potential client or explain to them, you know, what your business solution that you're offering is. Um, Mm. Do we find that that's the case, that there is a direct correlation there?
0: Yeah, Yeah, there is. I didn't fully answer your last question in that. I'll put it to you this way, Paul. The pitch or your message is foundational to getting your foot in the door and actually beginning that sales process, if you will, with a prospective client. So more specifically, to answer your last question, the pitch can be, can vary from that answer to, so what do you do? And when people get asked that question, be it over the phone in a meeting or at a network event, for example, I think most people feel like, Oh God, I should have a better answer for this question. (laughs) So that's one example of a pitch. Then done well, the prospect or the listener will say to me more about that. That's another extension of that pitch conversation, and then beyond that, it's the more formal, for example, forty-five minute to one hour meeting, formal presentation when you're presenting a proposal. So they're different pitch situations, but the commonality across all those examples I just gave is that, irrespective of the situation, pitches at any time the listener's impression or the listener can form an impression of us both as people and as a business, you know, with an offering. If it can be perceived as positive, negative or neutral, where we're influencing the impression of us or what we have to offer, it's a pitch. <laughs> um, and often people just think of a pitch as being when you're asking, uh, you know, a venture capitalist for money or you're pitching for a client. But but there are actually many pitches that happen before that where impressions are formed and either won or lost favourably.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned the sales pitch is the first step in getting before the client to actually present a sales pr- proposition.
0: Yeah. So, beyond that answer to some, what do you do? The prospective client they might say, tell me more about that. So, that might be two or three minutes worth of content where we're giving them a bit more detail without getting lost in the weeds. We don't want to get stuck into too much detail there and lose the prospect. And that's important to mention because A lot of businesses being close to what they do, obviously, and being subject matter experts and loving what they do, they suffer from what what I call the expert's dilemma, which is simply that their level of understanding is up here. The prospect's understanding is much lower than that, so there's a gap. And if the prospect doesn't understand what we're talking about, if we get stuck in the weeds and three-letter acronyms, the risk is they leave the conversation thinking, what the heck was that about? (laughs) They didn't want to feel silly by asking a question and so they sit on their hands and do nothing. Um, and as the service provider, we can get frustrated by that because we think, well, why don't they get it? And it's because we haven't simplified it to their level of understanding. So there's that conversation and that obviously needs to be kept in mind, you know, in that 45 to 60-minute meeting as well where we're understanding obviously what they do and what's most important to them in terms of outcomes and deliverables and we're trying to map that to what we do to see if there's a fit.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are some practical ways that people, um, or w- what's a good pitch look like or sound like?
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, I think maybe if you don't mind me saying it, a way to express that or to give an example of that is to first talk about what it's not or some common what I call pitch pitfalls that, that I see. And the context here is having worked with about 150 clients over the last 12 years from sole traders through to the likes of NAB and Westpac, um, you know, I see these nearly in every single client. And, and so the first pitch pitfall I'll, I'll give is people often defaulting to talking about their solution as opposed to the problems that they solve for prospects and for clients. And that's important because if you're aware of, as I'm sure you are, behavioural economics and how people make decisions, there's a concept called prospect theory which in short dictates that people are twice as likely as a minimum, as an absolute minimum, to avoid a problem just to gain a benefit for the heck of it. So, if we're just talking about the solution and yet we're wondering why isn't this landing for the prospect, it's because they're more motivated to avoid a problem or avoid loss than just to gain a benefit. So, if we're not talking about the problems that we solve in enough detail and if we're not demonstrating our empathy for the prospect and what they're going through and letting them understand that these are common challenges that we solve for people, then that is a big pitch pitfall that we've got. So, that's number one, talking too much about the solution and not enough about the problem. Uh, number two is not positioning ourselves in the market, and in short, positioning is simply what are we known for and to whom. So if we don't have a point of difference, then that's a big problem. We get lost in the shades of grey rather than having you know black or white, and that's important because prospects need that distinctiveness between us and a similar service provider when they're making decisions. So, for example, before we came on air, Paul, we were talking about the point of difference that premium has is certainly, you know, both these podcasts and also the advisory board and how you run that and how that adds value for your clients. So, that's an example of having some positioning in the market by virtue of content, but also by virtue of advisory board. And if we flesh that out further, that'd be ultimate benefits and outcomes that come out of that those kind of resources that your clients receive. So that's number two pitch football, not having a clear positioning in the market, which is not being clear on what we're known for and to whom. And then number three is not talking about our business and our offering with enough emotion, and that's why you are not talking about the problems that we solve. So often we think in rational, logical terms, again, not being fully aware all the time that people often, as the old saying goes, buy emotionally and then justify logically afterwards. So they're the three common pitfalls that we see. Too much talk about solutions and not enough talk about problems, no clear positioning in the market, and then number three, talking with too much logic and rationale and not enough emotion to engage the prospect.
1: Wow. My mind's ticking over with just looking at our sales process and how we're positioning our messaging, and I'm thinking, I thought we were doing it pretty good, but I'm not so sure <laughs> now. So, <laughs> um But certainly people want to know that you're listening to them and that you're actually hearing their problem. And I think Mm. when we're only talking about what we do, I think the the trap is how good our solution is compared to our competitor. That's Mm. not interesting. And I know accountants particularly have been guilty of telling everybody how good we are at our tax and how many qualifications we have. But our clients don't actually care about that. They care Mm. about knowing that we care about the real problems they're facing and we can offer understanding and the right solutions having listened to their problems.
0: Mm. It's a really good point because I'm always at pains to say that when people hear the word pitch, they can think of someone talking at them and being on the receiving end of a lot of content. And they might think of, I don't know, for example, a a show like Shark Tank, where it's a one-way monologue, if you will, and someone pitching at people, but You know, going back to my earlier point, people are pitching all the time. It's just that some of us are more aware of it than others and pitching done well is actually about talking as little as possible about your own business and what you've got and only doing so in a really relevant, meaningful and impactful manner after we understand everything we need to about the prospect. So there's a strategic advantage in going second, as it were, in a conversation understanding everything about the prospect first. And by way of quick example, we talk with clients about having a really good sales framework to use within a meeting, which just by way of brief example, but tied to your point Paul, would be around, for example, understanding the purpose behind the meeting number one. So for example, what's the prospect looking to get out of the meeting? You know, What's the key thing they're also looking to achieve? And importantly, what do they understand about your service and or have they used your service before? Because if they haven't used a professional accounting firm before versus if they have and they had a poor experience, then we need to come up with two completely different messages. And a lot of providers, and this is a big point I find, going into conversations, assuming every prospect has the same level of knowledge, good, bad, or different about their industry and even them as a firm. But if they don't tap into that and understand what biases or perceptions or misconceptions might be on the side of the prospect, they can miss a lot of things. So understanding the purpose of the meeting and setting the agenda, if you will, or the groundwork around their background knowledge of the industry and of the firm before they even get into the sales questions and the sales framework is really important. So that's number one. And then number two are some questions around understanding the prospect's situation, maybe the problems they're looking to solve, the implications of not resolving those problems, and that's really important because most people in sales can understand the situation of the prospect maybe even the problems they're looking to solve but if they're not clear on the implications of the prospect not resolving those problems then their solution is not deemed as valuable you know by that prospective client because the cost of doing nothing is nearly always higher than the prospect thinks it is and then the last part is understanding the need or the payoff that the prospect is looking for from utilizing your services it might be financial ROI it might be saving time there may be other things at play there so it's having a clear agenda, understanding the purpose of the meeting, then asking some really smart questions around the situation, the problem, the implication, and the payoff or the need that the prospect has, and then mapping that to what we've got as the service provider. And that process is really important because that can save us a lot of time and take the pitch content down from a longer form to a much shorter form that's just tailored around the responses to those questions.
1: Mm -hmm. So... In formulating those questions there, that you're extracting a lot of information but you're also showing or demonstrating the value of what you're providing. Um, mm. Yeah, the question, is that the time to close the sale or is that another part of the process?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. That's an interesting one because I think it's important that our own preferences as buyers, like some of us like to make decisions quickly versus some of us like to make decisions over a much longer time frame. As buyers, we have a, probably our own preferences as to how quickly we engage with different services. It's important we don't let that bias, that we don't project that bias on the prospect. So, for example, I tend to prefer, if given a choice, to like to take my time about purchase decisions. Now, if I'm not careful, that can mean that I make a sales process too long for someone that's looking to make a quick decision. Um and so we can ask one or two questions to get an understanding of, of what their buying preference is in terms of timeframes during the conversation. And so I think we need to be flexible in that, Paul, and be aware that some people, they might like to make a decision in the first meeting, uh, and that's absolutely fine. Others, particularly some bigger businesses, they may like to take, you know, three, four meetings, for example, over a longer timeframe. Uh, you know, for various reasons, there's multiple decision makers, there's more dollars involved, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's important to understand if they have a preference in terms of decision timeframe and what the driver is for them, that can also influence how quickly they make a decision. It could be a timing issue. So there's no real fixed answer on that, but it is important to ask the question and to understand it, otherwise we can lose some deals by trying to make it too quick or too long. Mm,
1: yeah, that's a good point because I think there's been times where I've had customers ready to make a decision on the spot but my process hasn't been ready for them to Mm. sign up on the spot because we had you know some different variables in terms of pricing but if you have a if you're prepared for both scenarios i think that's going to put you in good stead because if somebody wants to make a decision quickly Mm. you can act on that you can provide the information to execute the sale but if they need more time then you know you've got the process there but as long as you follow up i think is is one of those other key points
0: Yeah, that's really interesting and I must say having heard you say that, Paul, I've been caught nearly off guard once or twice by people that want to make a decision at the end of the first meeting and you find yourself scrambling a little bit going, oh, yeah, okay, hang on, Um, yeah, pricing will be this, here are the, you know, here are the details around timeframes of deliverable, inclusions and that happened to me once or twice a number of years ago now and since then I've always been prepared for, you know, that what if scenario and having those things ready to go because it can catch Mm. you off guard. And the other thing tied to that, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this once or twice in the past, is the old joke about the salesperson that took five minutes to sell something and then 45 minutes to unsell it because they, <laughs> they wouldn't shut up or they made the process longer than the prospect wanted. So it's always good to be prepared for a quick decision and have everything ready as best you can with what you know for them to say yes, you know, when they're ready to say yes. <laughs>
1: Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, so I think uh, there's a danger in making it too complicated or like you said, unselling the sale once you've already made it. And also, if you've got a complicated process, it's only the person designing the process that does the sale. Whereas if we have a more simple process, then all of a sudden, everybody in the business can become a salesperson if they understand what we're selling and also understand the type of clients that we're trying to attract.
0: Yeah, I like the fact you mentioned that because before today, I had a look at the premium website and I like the fact you've got the seven services and the four packages. And just to me, they look like packages that are easy to engage with, easy to buy. And that's really, really important because prospects are always short on time, energy and attention. And if we make them work too hard to understand our offer and to understand what's involved in a package, people often just sit on their hands and often our biggest competitor is not the competitor down the road. It's the status quo of no decision where people in the to too hard basket and just walk away because it's taking up too much mental energy of the prospect, which is a really important point to make because the reality is that as human beings we are, by default, inherently lazy. And if a service provider's we do to make it easy for the prospect, then that's really, really risky. So I like the fact you've got the services and the packages and you know, I can tell you, I've seen businesses in professional services that have a huge number of services and no packages. And I think in some ways, people can think that it makes them look smart and sophisticated and there's so much optionality, but it's, you actually want to simplify it. I mean, simplicity sells. So I love the way you've done that.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Appreciate the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So hopefully we are having that work. It'll result in increased sales. That's the aim. Now, Talking about customer return, obviously referrals, um, getting a customer to come back to you. Why do people not get referral business from their customers? Yeah,
0: great question. It's a multifaceted answer, but I'll keep it as brief as I can. You know, most businesses, obviously, if not all businesses, particularly within let's call it professional and financial services, they want the referral. Referrals are often a big part of their marketing or the business growth efforts. So they certainly want that. So it's not for lack of want or lack of willingness. What businesses often fail to recognise is that, uh, as I alluded to earlier, they can have clients that know, like and trust them, love the work they do. If asked the question, would you refer business X, Y, Z, 90% of them would likely say, yes, I would. And I know this because we've done in excess of 10,000 client feedback calls over the last 10 years and we've got this data. So the intention to refer from their clients is often high. But the action is low. It's, it's often only 10%. And so that gap, that referral gap, often comes down to a number of key factors, including the client doesn't know, for example, who to refer, when to refer, how to refer, <laughs> what to refer for, like is it an introductory offer or the full package, and why to refer, like what's the compelling reason for them. So it's a win-win-win for the provider, for them as the referrer and for the person they're referring as well. So if those things aren't addressed, the who to refer, the when to refer, the how to refer, the what to refer for, and the why to refer, those five questions, then that referral gap is likely to remain. That being said, even if the client understands all of those five things, which is extremely rare, often there's a conversation that's had. The client says, yeah, I'll refer you, and the service provider feels really good about that. Great. Client's going to refer me. Client gets back to what they were doing. They're busy, and they forget. So beyond that verbal conversation, that verbal agreement, there really has to be a follow-up email. Ideally, I know this isn't possible, but ideally that goes from the referrer to the person being referred, CCs in the service provider and closes the loop, so to speak, so that that person being referred expects either a call in the future or is open to that, everyone's on the same page. So it's all set up for that next piece of communication. So there's got to be the written communication that follows the verbal. So those two things are really important. And just briefly, the third thing I'll mention within professional services firms or any business where there's multiple divisions or departments or things to be sold, the internal referral, this is huge. And we've done a lot of work in that space with a bunch of firms where it's the old insurance company problem, I'll call it, if they've got five things to sell but they're only selling 1.8 because the internal referral piece or that cross-selling isn't working. And so that's a a huge thing we've been working on recently with a number of firms who individually, their services all provide great value, but there hasn't been a systematic process for the firm to have the, what I call, by the way conversation about, hey, Paul, you're buying X, great to get your feedback, awesome to see you got that result, by the way, did you know, and then have that conversation about the other service at the right time in a relevant manner that doesn't feel too pushy that's fully tied in with that client's end goals
1: all right fantastic look nathan i've learned so much from talking to you today and i know our listeners will have as well but look i'm feeling like we've probably only just touched the surface because it's such a big area and uh, look if our listeners want to get in touch with you or find out more about how you operate and how you can help their business what should they be doing
0: yeah, thank you, Paul, and I appreciate the question. So our website is www.customerreturn.com.au. Happy for anyone to go there. We have a perfect pitch self-evaluation under the free offer or free resources rather tab. We should know the pages on my website should know under the free resources tab. So it's a perfect pitch self-evaluation and it's seven short questions that invites you to rate yourself on a scale of one to three. And the reason for that, Paul, very simply is – Within about two minutes, someone can see whether or not, you know, this is an area that they should maybe look at a bit more closely to uh, attract and convert more of their ideal clients and also to generate more uh, other ideal referrals that they want. And so that's probably the best place to get started. There's also some blog articles on there. I'm happy for them to email me at simply uh, Nathan at customreturn.com.au. And I'm also on LinkedIn at Nathan Williams forward slash referrals. So they're probably the three best ways. Look, we certainly offer a 30-minute free pitch review. We're always happy to have an initial conversation with the business about their current messaging or the current pitch, their conversion rates uh, in their sales process. Uh, Often conversion rates can be sort of 20 to 30%, and we like to get those up to 50% for clients, and then levels of client referrals. The goal always being for most businesses averaging one referral per client per year. So there's some of the metrics we look at and some of the initial ways we can help.
1: Fantastic. So yeah, some great resources to get started. So that's www.customerreturn.com.au and look for the free resources and the perfect pitch self-assessment and get in touch with Nathan and yes, start improving your sales process and your sales, I guess, well, dare I say technique, but your sales pitch today. So yes, please do check out Nathan's resources and get in touch and have that free initial assessment with him. So Nathan, thank you again for your time today. It's been invaluable. A big issue that's on the, the mind of every business owner is attracting more sales and you've really given us some insight today on how we can improve our sales process. So thank you very much.
0: Well, pleasure. Thanks for having me, Paul. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.